In a few minutes' time, we're going to be sharing uh, communion together. But I just want to uh, speak from a um, passage of Scripture before that. We will be returning to our series uh, in... Uh, where are we in? Exodus. <laughs> One of those moments. But... Um, I'd like us just to uh, spend uh, this time just looking at Jesus um, from Matthew's Gospel. So if you want to follow the readings, they're quite brief, but uh, from Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 3. So Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then just briefly from chapter 3, where we have John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus' public ministry. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your words and the reminder already this morning that your word doesn't return to you void, that when you speak, you accomplish what you plan and purpose, but we ask for hearts that would be receptive to your word and pliable to it, and that we would prepare ground that would bear fruit as your word takes root in our lives. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Wednesday, the 6th of January. We all know what that day is, don't we? Sarah's got it right. Epiphany. Everyone's going, oh yes, Epiphany. Epiphany, uh, which I looked up in the dictionary, means a moment of sudden and great revelation or realization. A moment of great revelation or realization. It's also an important date in the church calendar, particularly for uh, more traditional churches. In the Roman Western tradition, Epiphany marks and celebrates the visit of the Magi to Bethlehem. And we know that despite our nativity scenes, which I think are great, and uh, tell that story that we have. Most scholars think the, the Magi didn't actually come for a little while later. Not to the stable, not to the guest room, but maybe up to two years later. And you'll get that clue in the scriptures when it says they came to the house where Jesus was. But Epiphany celebrates that because they had that moment of revelation and realization of who Jesus was. And they say, we've come to worship the king. And bear in mind that these men were from a pagan background, astrologers, who were scanning the skies for signs. And God graciously pointed them to Jesus, God himself in the flesh. In the Eastern Orthodox tradition, if you come from that, it marks and celebrates the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. So on the 6th of January, the Eastern Orthodox Church will be commemorating Jesus' baptism. For others of us in the church, it just passes us by anyway. Or we just see it in our diaries and we wonder, epiphany. Mm. Maybe it marks the end of Advent, the twelfth day after Christmas. How many of you have taken your decorations down already? A few of you. How many will do it this week? A few of you. We pack away the nativity set, the Christmas tree, the cards and decorations. I guess when Matthew was writing his gospel, he was not thinking of church traditions. They hadn't had time to get them yet. Or Christian festivals. He was writing an account of the world-transforming message of Jesus. He writes an account of the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And his gospel was a revolutionary pamphlet. It's the account of Jesus, God the Son, who came to save all that was lost. 
It's an account how heaven touches earth as Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, born as one of us, who was there from the very beginning in heaven, there at creation with the Father and the Holy Spirit, but now humbles himself to become a baby in Bethlehem. This Jesus, the King of heaven, comes as King to earth to bring his kingdom. This was explosive and revolutionary stuff in the first century Roman Empire. Where Caesar was king. Even Lord, even a God. And few messages were more dangerous than the one that Matthew describes in his gospel. And it still is. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near, at hand, is here, is amongst us in Jesus, is revolutionary stuff. It's world-transforming stuff. Because you see, if Jesus is king, Caesar is not. If Jesus is Lord, no one else is. If Jesus is God, there can be no other No other who demands our allegiance, our worship, and our service. So Matthew writes his gospel about Jesus. And he tells the story of his life, but also his death, of how Jesus was crucified. Jesus wasn't killed because he preached parables. He was not crucified because he was a good man, or a good religious teacher. He wasn't crucified because he healed the sick, or even that he broke Jewish so-called laws and customs. He was killed because he was God. Claimed to be God. Lord. And king. It's what the notice read above the cross in three languages Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But Matthew also tells that King Jesus and his kingdom cannot be stopped by death. His kingdom is unstoppable. Jesus conquered the grave and set his followers free to preach the gospel. The good news that Jesus has come to the ends of the earth until he comes again. And that's where we are. It's where we find ourselves in this story in 2016. We are part of God's salvation plan for planet earth. We are part of his kingdom. We are here to proclaim Jesus as king, lord, and God, and there is no other.
Today, in 2016, he is still by far the most loved, the most worshipped, the most followed and obeyed person in the world who has ever lived. Just Google his name and you'll find 170 million websites to visit when you've got a moment spare. Search Amazon.com and you can find over 400,000 books to read about him. And they haven't got them all. And even here in the United Kingdom, go to any city, any town, and any village, and you will still find a small band of believers in Jesus proclaiming his name. church is not dead, but we do need revival in this nation. We are the people who bear his name, who seek his kingdom first, who pray his kingdom come. We are the ones who are on mission for King Jesus. That's who we are. It's what this fellowship exists for. If you are not here to get involved in the mission of proclaiming Jesus Christ to people today, why are you here? It's what we're about. Matthew's own epiphany happened when he met Jesus for the first time. And he heard the message of the king and his kingdom and he left the employment of Emperor Tiberius, the so-called king, And he went to follow the real king, Jesus. He left everything to follow Jesus. And he was never the same again. And Matthew introduces Jesus and his gospel to us. And he introduces us to the mission of Jesus. And his gospel begins with just three clear statements about what Jesus came to do. The first is that Jesus is the saviour of the world. The most comprehensive term to describe what God is doing in our world right now is salvation. He is saving. He is redeeming. He is bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and it will be complete one day when he comes again and makes all things new. Salvation is found in no one else. Matthew quotes the words spoken to Joseph by the angel. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's what Jesus' name means he's the Savior. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which means God saves, the Lord saves, Yahweh saves, Yahweh to the rescue. And in the Old Testament, we have a character called Joshua who comes after Moses who leads the Israelites into the promised land. He stepped into the Jordan River and it parted en route to conquering the land, the promised land. And Jesus comes, God in the flesh. 
He steps into human history as one of us, born as a babe in Bethlehem. He steps into the River Jordan to be baptized. En route to conquering death and sin and the devil and all his works. Jesus came for you and he came for me. Through his sacrificial death and triumphant resurrection, we are saved. And he came for all. That whoever would believe in him, whether they be magi from a pagan background, or Muslims living on another part of this planet, who come from a very different background, all can be saved in and through the name of Jesus and all that he's done. And when we come to Jesus in faith, we're trusting our lives to him. But we must all come. There's not one of us too good to come, not one of us too bad to come, but we must all come. And receive his forgiveness. Be washed clean of all our sins. Made right with God. And John the Baptist declares that Jesus will baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. The good news about the mission of Jesus is not just about forgiveness. It's not just that we are forgiven. And we have a right standing with God, although that is crucial. And coming to that place where we repent and we turn away from other things and turn to God, it is crucial. That marks that beginning of that journey. But the good news is more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness, in a way, is that entry point. It's not the destination. Forgiveness is what brings us and keeps us in that relationship with God. Because we constantly need to renew our repentance and trust in Jesus. And without that forgiveness, we would all be still lost in our sins, separated from God by our own choices, our faults and failures. But no, because of Jesus, we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are loved. But Jesus wants even more for us. He wants us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill us, transform us by the indwelling power and presence of his Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended so that we might receive the Holy Spirit. We must be a people who long and cry out for more of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit because we're believers in Christ, but we must be filled and filled and filled again. When was the last time you were filled with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you cried out to God that you would be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit? Well, if it's daily, that's great. If it's hourly, that's great. Jesus wants you to be filled with him. He 
because we're to grow in discipleship. We're to grow in maturity in faith. What does that look like? It looks like Jesus. And we're not there yet, but we want to be, don't we? We want to be more like Jesus. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How can we be more like Jesus unless we are continually filled with the Holy Spirit? And the third aspect that Matthew emphasizes in these early chapters about the mission of Jesus is judgment. There will be a day. John says that as Jesus is coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor. I think John the Baptist had an idea in his heart that Jesus, when he came, would bring judgment. Yes, he is bringing judgment, but Jesus is saying, now is the day of salvation. Judgment will come. It is coming, but now is the day of salvation. But when Jesus returns, there will be judgment. And as John the Baptist says, his coming will expose each person as wheat destined for the barn of heaven. That's how he describes it. Or as chaff destined for the fire of hell. Is this really part of the good news? Yeah, this is the good news. Unfashionable, unpopular, sometimes seeming like bad news only because people don't understand the predicament they are in. We are lost without Jesus. And he has come to rescue you and save you. That's why we have to proclaim his name. Because people are lost without Jesus. They're not going to be able to stand in front of Jesus presenting their goodness before him on that day. Because it won't be good enough. Jesus came to save. Because on that day, all sin will be dealt with. All evil will be dealt with. There will be no more sickness, pain, suffering, death, persecution, abuse. All those things will be done away with. Because Jesus has come. I have it often asked of me, particularly on the Alpha courses... Because whenever we talk about judgment or, or heaven and hell, that, that's the one guaranteed to kind of... I liked everything else you said, Phil, but that doesn't sound good. How can a good God send people to hell? He doesn't. He doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to go there. 
because they refused the Savior. What we don't understand, what I didn't understand when I wasn't a Christian was I was lost. Not only lost, but I was under the enemy's influence. That's why Jesus came to save all that was lost. The whole of humanity lost and he's come to save. God doesn't want anyone to perish, not one. All to be saved. And he calls, and he calls. Even here in this room this morning, there are people who he's been calling and calling and calling. And you've dabbled a bit with Jesus. You, you know him, you know about him, and why else would you be here? But you've never said, I surrender everything to your lordship, to your kingship, Jesus. Before the arrival of Jesus, if you were to ask the Jews who were the sort of holy ones, they would have pointed to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because they looked so devout. See, when Jesus comes, he looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. All the tax collectors like Matthew, and the prostitutes, and the outcasts, then the Gentiles did not look acceptable to God. Yet Jesus comes to forgive and to save all who would trust in him. The coming of Jesus exposes us. The second coming of Jesus, he isn't coming to bring salvation, he is coming to bring an end and gather his wheat into the barn. All those who have trusted and believed. We don't want to be left in enemy hands. We carry in our hearts people we love and know who are in enemy hands right now. They don't know it. And they'd be offended if you told them that. I remember it very well. My eldest brother, who was my hero, who rebelled and everything and rang me up and said I was going to hell if I didn't believe in Jesus. He was right, but it wasn't very welcome at the time. We don't put it quite like that. But that's why it burns in our hearts. Because Jesus comes to save. But there's coming a day when he's going to make all things new. And we're looking for that day. At the beginning of this new year, as we share this bread and this cup, let's renew our allegiance as individuals and as a church to King Jesus, to his gospel and his mission.
to confess him as our saviour, our baptizer, and our judge. To turn away from the sin of our lives, to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And to make that commitment to grow in discipleship, trust and dependence on the Lord Jesus. To run the race marked out for us. that we might have an epiphany this morning. A fresh realization of how much we're loved by God. And that He calls us not only to be forgiven, but to be filled with Him and to walk with Him. So I invite you to stand with me. And ask the band to come back. But let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you that you are always point to Jesus our Savior and Lord. And today, Lord Jesus, we reaffirm our faith in you, our trust in you, that you're the Savior of the world, that you are the King and we gladly surrender to you. We ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us today. If you've never asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then ask him today to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Would you come, Holy Spirit, would you come and fall upon us, your people in this place. We're here to serve you, to proclaim your name, to make disciples, to see your kingdom come, to pray for revival. Lord, would you come. You are the hero of this story. And we belong to you. As we share in this bread and this cup. There's anyone here who've never trusted in Jesus. Or you've never taken that step. To make a public declaration. Maybe it's baptism. That you need to do. 
to proclaim Jesus as Lord, not to sit on the sidelines, but to actually declare publicly that you declare Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then I encourage you to make that step. And Lord, for those that we know that are lost, we continue to pray and cry out for. Would you burn within us, Lord, as we carry these friends, family in our hearts and give us the grace to share the good news of who you are. Would your Holy Spirit so empower us to be your witnesses wherever we are? That these things we ask of you, Lord, as we share this bread and this cup, we remember you, but we also look forward to your coming again. Thank you for your invitation to come and eat and share in this simple meal that you shared with your friends just before you died. You share with us. You invite us. So we come. trusting in your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord. As we prepare, we sing this song together.